You're listening to Starting Up on the Agenda on Dubai Eye 103.8. With VirtuZone, business set up with no regrets. Hello there and thank you for downloading the Starting Up podcast from the 28th of June. On the programme today, in our special segment for budding entrepreneurs and small business owners, we focused on funding for businesses run by women, because the latest research shows that female-led startups still get way less funding than male-led companies. We debated why that happens with Virtue's own CEO, George Hojage. He joined me live in the studio and we spoke to an amazing roster of inspiring guests, including the founder and CEO of Kids Shop Citroen, that's Sarah Chalmer, and she told us about the problems that she had setting up her business. We were also joined by Dr. Saida Jafar. Now, she's the group country manager for the GCC at Visa. She explained how they're helping women get their first foot on the ladder. And our startup success story this week was another fabulous woman. Urit Mohammed is the founder of Boone Coffee, who now have seven coffee shops in the UAE and provide specially roasted coffee to nearly all the top hotels. Plus, George answered all the questions that came through about setting up a business and being your own boss. You're listening to Starting Up on the Agenda on Dubai Eye 103.8. With VirtuZone, business set up with no regrets. It is time for our special segment for budding entrepreneurs and small business owners. I'm joined right now by VirtuZone CEO George Hajaj. Hello, George. Good uh, morning. Good uh, morning, morning, Georgia. Always good to see you. <laughs> a pleasure to have you in our studio. Uh, obviously, the team at Virtue Zone basically in convincing me to start my own business. It is a trickle, a trickle process, but I'm getting more enthusiastic it, about it. Do it. <gasps> I've got some time off in the summer, so maybe I'll think about it then. Um, but our topic on today's show could discourage me because there's a wide gap in terms of funding between female-led and male-led businesses. And it is really quite concerning. It's a problem around the world, including here in the region. Data from WAMDA shows that the Middle East and North African startups founded by women raised a total of $34.6 million in 2021, or just 1.2% of the region's venture capital funding. That is depressing. In the UAE, sadly, it is no different. And payments company Visa have been doing some research into this. And while the data isn't all good news, there is an exciting initiative that's come out of it. To tell us more about that, we are joined virtually now by Dr. Saida Jafar. Now, she's the Senior Vice President and Group Country Manager in the GCC at Visa. Uh, Joining us on Microsoft Teams. Hello there, Dr. Jafar. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Good to see you again. It's fantastic to have you on the line. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, I know that George has got lots of questions for you, uh, but before we just talk about the initiative, let's just talk about why you're doing this, because uh, I know that you just brought out a survey and it shows almost nine out of 10 women surveyed in the UAE face challenges securing funding for their ventures, and more than three out of four are tapping into personal savings to start businesses. I imagine, is that not the case? for men then? Look, I think depending on which statistics you look at, you might get slightly different views and slightly different answers. But the reality is it is difficult for everyone to raise money. It is more difficult for women-led businesses to raise money. And we see this based on the number of businesses that are actually led by women versus the number of the amount of funding that goes into women led businesses. You quoted the number of 1% yourself. I mean, it's a 
it's not very far from that. So I think there is a challenge there. And our view is we want to make sure we provide as much as possible a level playing field. So there is broad access to anybody who chooses, and this is important, anybody who chooses to go ahead and do something about it. We have a very simple belief at Visa, economies that include everyone, uplift everyone. And that's exactly what we're trying to do here today. Great, Doctor, can you share with us some uh, more UAE-specific figures that point to women's challenges when getting their businesses up and running? Sure, absolutely. So look, I'll give you a couple, right? So for example, 76% of women are using personal savings to start businesses. Now, again, I don't know what the specific one for men is, but I think the number will probably be high as well. But that's a one big one. I think the other one that's important to know is roughly about 41% of women admit that uh, a lot of gender stereotypes have negatively impacted their work and negatively impacted how they go about doing their business. So that's another one. And then probably the third one that I'll share with you is uh, about 76% of the women that we surveyed felt that uh, there was societal pressure or disapproval uh, that perhaps discouraged them from uh, taking a more active role in the businesses. So there is a lot of information out there. This is some of the, let's say, challenging statistics. On the other side, I think uh, there are equally some positive and encouraging numbers out there as well, right? So for example, 51% of uh, women entrepreneurs in the UAE would absolutely be happy to use a lot of the funding that comes that way into uh, you know, investing back into their business and they feel encouraged that there is a path ahead. So yes, there's a, you know, it, it, there's a lot of information and data out there that points to some of the challenges that uh, women face in the businesses. Where can who can we blame for this, Doctor? Is it is it is this a, an angel investor uh, challenge? Is this a banking challenge? Is it just that us as a society still think or have the stereotype that men are better businessmen than 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 women? Uh, in my case, personally, I really don't have that. I really don't have that that bias. I mean, quite the contrary. We're you know. We were actually talking about the virtue zone the other day. We had um, our head of operations, Sarah, was 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 a was a woman, and she was fantastic. She since got married and 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 returned to her home country, uh, and and we're trying by hook or by crook to try to find a female on the senior on on, on senior management because diversity is important for us, and it's important to have these different points of views, these different emotions, and so on and so forth. Who's to blame for this lack of uh, for this lack of funding or for this disparity, if you want, between men and women when it comes to funding? in your opinion? Sure. So look, I'm not sure if it's a matter of blame per se, right? Because uh, blame implies a lot of other things. I think there are a lot of reasons why this exists. Uh, Let's put it that way. And I think there are reasons probably across the board. So I think probably from an entrepreneur's point of view as well, maybe a, a lot of women don't get the right level of coaching and training and encouragement from a very early on uh, day to say, you know what, this is something you can do. This is something you can take seriously. This is not a hobby business. This is something that can become big if you choose to go down that way, right? And then from there, it's a matter of women believing in themselves and choosing. This is very important, choosing to do exactly what they want to do. So that's on one hand from the entrepreneur side, but I think equally from the other side there's an element of awareness and there's an element of uh, of, of just 
knowing. So quite often, again, not because we choose to or we have bad intentions, but we become products of our environment and of what we see. And what, whatever we see is what we think is the reality. So I think there's a lot of education awareness that needs to happen on the other side from the investor community as well that needs uh, where there needs to be uh, you know good opportunities brought forward a lot of uh, networking opportunities to allow the mingling between the entrepreneurs as well as the investors again to make a very clear case that there are lots of good opportunities out there to go forward with okay so Off the back of all your research, is Visa trying to do something about this gap at the moment? Absolutely. So this is something that is very, very near and dear to our heart. As I said, we fundamentally believe that economies that include everyone uplift everyone. So because of that, what Visa has been doing for many, many years is something called She's Next. And She's Next is a global advocacy program that brings practical insights, as well as tools and techniques to small businesses, including networking, mentoring, as well as funding opportunities. We've been doing this globally for a long time. We have have, we've helped about 200 businesses in the form of grants, mentorships, et cetera, across the board to, uh, to do this. Um, and this year, that we have brought it to the UAE. And in the UAE, we are working with uh, some of our fantastic partners with uh, FAB, as well as with the Dubai Women's Council on uh, making sure that we work with women-owned businesses on a one-year program where we put them through a very rigorous cycle of coaching and mentoring that is provided by iFund Women, in addition to giving them funding, funding grants, which they can then take and deploy into their businesses, as well as creating a lot of networking opportunities for them to be able to have the right access that they need to tap into the different environments. So absolutely, I, it, this is something we're doing and it's something we're very, very proud of. If people want to apply, if women want to apply for the She's Next initiative, what should they do? Is there a specific website they should go to? Absolutely. What we'll do is uh, we can we'll post it on all the social media links that I know you will be putting this on and that what we will be putting on. Or you can just Google it. You'll find it. It's very, very easy to do. It's very easy to apply. The application process opened up uh, on July. I'm oh, sorry, on June 20th. And it's going to run until July 20th. It's a very simple process. You can go in, share your ideas and uh, we'll go from there. Fantastic. Dr. Saida Jafar there, Senior Vice President and Group Country Manager and in the GCC at Visa. You're listening to Starting Up on the Agenda on Dubai Eye 103.8. With VirtuZone, business set up with no regrets. Georgia Tolly here and I'm still joined uh, in the studio by George Hajaj, who is the VirtuZone CEO. And we are discussing the fact that investors are not pouring money into female-led enterprises. Let's just go back to Visa's statistics that we just heard. The majority of female founders here in the UAE say that funding is a challenge and many of them end up using their personal savings to get their businesses off the ground. Nearly half say gender stereotypes have negatively affected their work. 
work as an entrepreneur. Right, let's see if any of these resonate with our guest who's joining us virtually on Microsoft Teams. Sarah Chalmer is the founder and CEO of Citroen, which is a brand of lunchboxes and food jars. She started her business in 2018. And since then, we have been spotting her products everywhere. In fact, Citroen's gone on to dominate the lunchbox and back to school market of the GCC, selling over half a million products, winning awards and now distributes to 27 countries across the globe. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us on the line. Lovely to see you, to meet you. Hi. Hi, thanks for having me today. Absolutely lovely to have you here. Now, you're a mum of three. You had a corporate job and then you had the idea to create Citroen. Was there ever a time when you got frustrated with securing funding? So when my background is I used to run the VC funds of MBC. So I used to work a lot with entrepreneurs and I knew how hard it was for entrepreneurs to raise funds, irrespective of male, female. So I was already aware of the difficulty uh, in the region to raise funds. Uh, now, my difficulty was um, even higher because not only I'm not a tech entrepreneur, I'm a female uh, non-tech entrepreneur. So that makes it's much harder. Uh, when I was fundraising, I spoke to almost uh, 100 VCs in the region and all of them said, uh, sorry, this is out of our scope. And only one ended up investing. So yeah, it is quite difficult. And it is true, Georgia. She brings, you know, she brings a good point, Sarah, that, that um, if you're not tech today, it's very difficult to get funding. Most of the VCs that are out there are looking for tech, uh, for tech companies or tech ideas that are easily scalable. This is what these are. This is where the valuations are. Um, these were. This is where the unicorns are. Where, you know, I, I'm sure you've heard of that word unicorn. And oh, if yeah. if if, oh, yes. if our listeners don't know what it is, it's a billion dollar company, and it's a startup that gets on to be a billion dollar company. You call that a unicorn. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of money available in the region, much more than there was a few years ago, which was five or 10 years ago. A lot more VCs. But as Sarah is saying, all these VCs are looking for uh, tech startups. They're, you know, anything that, that's not tech is much difficult, much more difficult to get funding for. So it is what it is. That's where we are today in, in 2022. And, and uh, as everybody or some people know as well, we're getting into a difficult phase now, uh, both for startups and for VCs, um, a challenging phase, which is part of the normal economical cycle. So, uh, so yeah, I think we'll see some interesting time ahead. But, but, but one thing is for sure that it's, uh, the improvement between five, ten years ago and now is just incredible when it comes to tech startups here. We as VirtuZone are seeing so many start, startups to set up out of here, uh, you know, and having Dubai as a base because you got great infrastructure, you have great, uh, great talent here. Geographically speaking, you're, you're, you're very well positioned. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's a fantastic place to be at the moment if, uh, if you're a tech company. But if you're not a tech company, it's a bit more difficult, as as as, as Sarah's saying, to get uh, funding. Yeah, because Sarah, you actually wanted to have a real bricks and mortar store, but but do you think that do you think there was it was partly the tech, or do you think there was also a sense of gender prejudice? Did you know? Did people see you as a sort of sweet mumpreneur who and and take you less seriously and pat you on the head? <laughs> well, uh, honestly speaking, I think that I am past this phase just because. I have sat in uh, with those uh, investors in boards. I have co-invested with them. Uh, I think I have proven myself not to be just a a, a pretty face, as, as we say. But um, it was a lot of discussion about saying that mompreneurs in general tend to do businesses that tend not to be scalable. 
they tend to be very conservative and what investors want to see and what they want to hear is is a liquidity element meaning i'm going to invest today in five years down the line i want to make a 10 15x and how this 10 15x will happen is only if you go and scale and scale super fast so it was always i think the tech was one part and then the second part was the fact that i'm doing a business uh that is related to kids and and, and babies and that was very crowded market and that um i'm a mompreneur in the back of their mind they were always um more risk and less um uh, openness to discussions and to learning how I could actually build the unicorn by being a mompreneur. Now, when you wanted to expand, you managed to get pre-series A funding from Arzan VC, which is a Kuwaiti firm. Um, you were the first non-tech female-founded brand within their portfolio. I mean, that must have been a massive milestone for you. How did you convince them that you were a, a viable business, a scalable business? Well, uh, I think they have looked at our numbers, so they do diligence us quite a lot. Uh, they also assisted to a lot of calls and meetings with our retailers uh, that were explaining how the brand has evolved and how much we can do more. Um, they also believed that uh, direct-to-consumer could be a good addy for us, uh, where we could uh, use the money to sell more directly, and that's in a sense, gives them the tech element they needed. But they also thought that um, our growth was not capped because making products, you can make as many as you want. You don't necessarily just specialize in one tech element and you can't go into so many more. So today we're doing kits, tomorrow we can do pets, the day after we could do so much more. And this is what they liked the most. I think in terms of return in their portfolio, um, they, they can say it for themselves, but uh, they they are saying that they're super happy and the return as of today from last year is quite impressive versus the tech startups they have in their portfolio. So I think overall, um, it was a mix of numbers, but also selling them how I can scale and how much um, they can exit for if they were to in five years. Sarah, now that you're established, do you help other female founders make progress? Uh, I mean, is there a support network here in the UAE for women entrepreneurs? Uh, Also, there are so many aspiring female founders right now listening to you. Some of them are probably disheartened. What advice would you give them? Um, So I I just learned very recently about something called Emirates Development Bank, I know. And um, I spoke to them recently and they said that they had been giving funding to non-tech businesses for the longest time and their rates and uh, their rules and conditions are much more um, adapted to small businesses. So that could be an option. I personally didn't know about it. Um, I think there are at the beginning uh, when you're just launching, you need a support from either your friends and family, your own savings, but you need to show traction before even thinking of scale. Uh, And that traction can be very much from the UAE, from Dubai alone, but it has to be that the product is scalable and not necessarily just something that works because um, of a Dubai situation, uh, which is still the case for a lot of businesses that won't work anywhere else in the world, but just literally in Dubai. 
I would also say that there are lots of female um, business networks right now. So there is one called Crunch Moms that organizes a lot of talks and helps a lot of um, women entrepreneurs in uh, finding investors, but also reviewing, helping them to put decks together, pitches, uh, uh, polishing their ideas. So a lot of, of things are happening with Crunch Moms. And uh, there is also the Female Fusion Network, which has been super useful for me. It's a network on Facebook that has uh, a lot of members and the discussions there are always very useful. People are very honest and always willing to help. That is amazing advice there, Sarah Chama, uh, the founder and CEO of Citroen. You're listening to Starting Up on the Agenda on Dubai Eye 103.8. With VirtuZone, business set up with no regrets. We're in the midst of our Starting Up program, uh, basically when we put the focus on small and medium-sized businesses and entrepreneurs. George Hajaj, still in the studio, VirtuZone CEO, helping me present the program. And we are celebrating female-led businesses on the show today. And it's time for our weekly startup success story segment. And we're talking coffee, but not just any coffee quality coffee from its birthplace, Ethiopia. Because if you like your daily cup of joe, one of the people you have to thank for good coffee coming to the United Arab Emirates is Orit Mohammed, who joins us now in the studio. She is the founder of Boone Coffee. And she is, drumroll please, our startup success story. I have the sound effect of a drumroll, <laughs> Orit. That's what you just heard. Uh, how are you, Orit? Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Really lovely to have you here. So, Eric, tell us, how many businesses uh, or how many coffee shops do you have now? Because you were just telling us off air and we were quite impressed, Georgia and I. We were. <laughs> well, we just opened the, the last one. Is the, Our seventh one just recently wow. opened. So we have seven. But, you know, we are actually a wholesale business. We are coffee roasters that supply coffee to a lot of the Hotels and restaurants around in town in Dubai. That's how. We so, start. how many hotels do you think that you supply, or do you know that you supply in Dubai? Well, we some of the big ones I could tell you would be like Mandarin Oriental on oh, Jumeirah. Wow, wow. Um, that's a good cup of coffee. They do it. They serve it really. They're really cool serving. They put a massive ice cube in it, and yes. then they, and then it melts into the. I'm not sure, Georgia, that a purist would <laughs> oh, agree yeah. with oh, you no. on that big ice cube in it. <laughs> She's, I mean, her, or, it's, or its eyes were kind of rolling. I'm so sorry. Did I just write no, your coffee? No, no, no. I just write your coffee. But you can also have it with gold sprinkles at the Emirates Palace. For example. I want gold sprinkles. From Emirates Palace also uses our coffee. Those are some of the hotels. And, uh, you know, in Greens, uh, in Greens uh, Onyx Towers, Zabil House also uses. So they, we have a few big brands that are using That's fantastic, Orit. Now, now, listen, it's easy to talk about the success. It's easy to talk about it, I said. But I'm sure it was a hell of a ride to get here. Tell us how it all started. Where, where, when, where were you? What did you think when you said, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to start dealing in coffee. So my, my story starts nine years ago. I was actually a stay-home mom. But when I say that, people think I was just... Um, Watching I, TV all day. Yes, but I was actually, I, before I became a uh, wife and stay-home mom in Dubai, I went to school, I studied public policy, and I did a master's in economics development. So I was thinking I would be working some kind of NGOs in the UN or something, something along that line. But got married, moved to Dubai, had three kids back-to-back, and... As that well. kept you busy for a few years. <laughs> yeah, I know that feeling. But that gave me five years of gap. Well, and when my youngest turned three, I was thinking, what business can I do that wouldn't take so much 
time, that, which I was completely wrong <laughs> about. So I wasn't necessarily thinking that it would be something big. But what I did realize in the five years I was hanging out in Dubai is that there wasn't really good coffee. Now, there was a few coffee, but what I realized is there wasn't coffee coming directly from sources, from farms. That, I realized, was the break. There was a lot of coffee coming from all over Europe or even as far away as Australia. But And I thought that was just kind of silly that when there is such a huge coffee uh, farming communities, not far from the UAE, Ethiopia being one, and I'm, I come from a coffee culture where there's lots of uh, coffee farms. So I, it was it just amazed me that direct uh, access wasn't coming at that time. So that the sh- you know a, a vessel would only take about seven days to arrive. So a new coffee crop could be here in seven days. Instead, it's going to Europe or somewhere far and coming back. So and is that is that if a coffee if a coffee crop is fresh, it's actually better. Much better. I mean, I'm not I don't I'm not a big connoisseur yeah, about coffee. It, yeah, so it maybe really tell is. Us you could taste the difference. <coughs> and if it, and then of course locally there weren't that many roasters here. There were a few, but there weren't that many roasters. So that. That's where I saw the the gap. So I just wanted to bring some good coffee and I wanted to tell people, look, coffee could be so different and coffee could have so much different taste profile. So what did you start with? You started with a package, you started with a container. You started, no, 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 500 kilos, 500 wow. kilos to the house. I brought it by air. To the house. To the house, to green coffee. And I was trying to ask people to roast. I would going around roasters and asking them to roast. But then I realized that the roasting part is the most important part and uh, to have the control. So I thought, why not? Uh, so because I thought it was easy, because in Ethiopia, we actually do roast with a pan. Well, of course, I realized that. Yes, yeah. I realized that's not what's going to be happening. <laughs> so we did use all of our investment to rent a warehouse and a small coffee uh, buy. So hold coffee. on. So you got 500 kilos of this coffee, this green coffee, yes. and then you went around the roasters for yes. to roast it for you. And who did you sell it to? Friends and family? or At the playground, yes. Literally, I, and it, I, had, I didn't know anybody. I didn't have a network here. So, I was, so it was just at the playground and... Uh, and you my. are such an inspiration. Seriously, go from that. I know. You know, it really does sound like a kind of even for me sometimes story because I remember thinking these five hundred kilos I kept uh, in my house, and I kept saying, "Do not use bleach or anything because you know coffee absorbs smell." Oh, so I was so careful not to use a household cleaning. Product. And today, how much do you think you import a year? How many kilos or how many tons? Well, uh, four to five containers. So each container wow. is about twenty tons. Wow. Whoa. So, <laughs> so yeah. So 20 tons, that's 20,000 kilos, so 100,000, from 500 kilos to 100,000 kilos. Yes. Not bad. Good progress. Not bad. And you roast it yourself now in the warehouse? Most of it, yes. We have a a three roaster. So we started with small roasters. We moved up. So we have three roasters running and one more roaster being put up right now. How long does it take to roast a green, green coffee bean? Uh, it it's only takes about 15 to 20 minutes, uh, depending on the roast profile. But uh, each batch could be, but uh, each batch uh, of roasting could be 30 to 60 kilos for us. So you do it really carefully and you wanted to take control of that because that makes a difference to the taste. Is that the case? Yes. Roasting makes a huge difference uh, how it's roasted. And that's, uh, you, we, it was for me, for me, sourcing some of the premium coffee, the specialty coffee was easy because I do come from that culture. But the roasting part was very... Or it's your, your typical, uh, call it success story, because, because as you said, people can relate to how they started with something very small, 500 kilograms of yes. coffee, and now doing 10 containers or so uh, a year, five, five, five containers, inshallah, five, ten. Ten, inshallah, inshallah ten, ten. Ten. <laughs> right? Now, 
during that journey, and you say, you know, during that journey, what was the highest moment of that journey and what was the lowest moment of that journey? Because everybody who's starting a business, the first thing they hear, the first thing you tell them is, it's a roller coaster. You wake up one day, you're the king of the world. You wake up another day and you say, what did I do? Good Why question. did I leave my job? So what was the highest moment of that, of, of that, of that journey that you, that where you, you were the happiest and what was the lowest moment where you were saying, this is not, this is not good. Uh, the I could say the highest, let's start with the happy yeah, stories. Yeah. The highest moment for me was really because when I started the roastery and it was by through chance, by uh, a lot of uh, coincidence and of course a lot of work was done. Finally, a restaurant bought our coffee, which was La Serre restaurant. Uh, it opened. My highest was I sat down the opening day and I was sitting and I was watching a couple drinking our coffee and they were enjoying it. And these people had no idea who the roaster or the coffee or anything. It was just part of their breakfast deal. Yeah. For me, at the end, and I said, how was the coffee? And the guy said, it was amazing. I was so super excited Aww. because I never thought, never in my, that, that, kind, that kind of setting, that kind of restaurant would have our coffee. So then it, it made me believe that it's possible, yeah. really. That, yeah, yeah. that gave me the uh, story. Especially with an, with an upmarket restaurant like yeah. Lasser. Yeah, so it was amazing. For me, like, I could have screamed there saying, that's my coffee everywhere. But that was amazing. But the lowest was that, especially at the beginning, I had so many people turning me down. But you have to realize, I was taking a, a bag of coffee that I thought was super good and walking around um, all of the Emirates and asking this, the cafes, can you, can you try, can you take my coffee? And of course, I had no clue that the hostess who was at the door had no power, so she would always say no. Right. So I walked and I went to a lot of coffee shops and a lot of coffee shops rejected. So I, I didn't think we were selling the first year 20 kilos of coffee a month. So after sp- using all our investment and the, as my husband said, the first time I ordered the container of coffee and you have to realize the container of coffee is about one hundred thousand mm. dollars and I'm selling 20 kilos. He said, is it the Dubai sun that's going to roast it for you? Who's yeah. going to drink it? Because I didn't see how we could ever are there some who rejected you and then said, called you and said, listen, we'd like to, to get some coffee from you? Uh, you know, a lot of people, especially really? at the beginning, because <clears throat> specialty coffee nine years ago was not big. So when I used to go and say, oh, I have Ethiopian coffee, I'm doing this, I'm, a lot of people, what they would say is, let us know when you have an Italian coffee. And I knew Italian, there is no such thing as an Italian coffee, but Italian roast. But literally, the first thing I had to do is sell the whole country of Ethiopia. To, sh- to yeah. show them that this is... So now when people are saying, do you have Ethiopian coffee? I always say Ethiopian government should pay me. But <laughs> they should. But, but and what's li- so special about Ethiopian well, coffee? Well, you know, coffee originated in Ethiopia. There's still... Did f- it? Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. And there's still over 5,000 types of coffee coming from uh, Ethiopia at different, uh, different time. And you have to realize that uh, Ethiopia is still done by small farmers. This is where coffee, farms and farms are different tastes, different profile. So why not Ethiopia? Why not to the birthplace of coffee? Oh, it is amazing to hear about your story and how you basically had to educate the public and the population first to the idea of Ethiopian coffee, which is ridiculous because that's where it started. Uh, amazing to have you on, on the radio. Thank you so much. Uh, we always run out of time in this segment. It's always awesome. Uh, Orit Mohammed is the person you've been hearing from. She's the founder of Boone Coffee. She is this week's fabulous success story. And it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much, Orit. A pleasure. 
This is Starting Up on the Agenda on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Virtuzone, business setup with no regrets. Yes, we've got about four minutes left with the fabulous George Hajage from Virtuzone, CEO. Uh, we've got two or maybe three questions for you. See how fast we can answer them. Uh, this is your agony uncle moment. Mandy says, which free zone has the cheapest visa? All right, so there is no such thing as the cheapest visa. The visa is a fed, you know, is is, is a governmental, uh, is a mental charge. So what you want to look at is not the visa, it's the actual package for the license and the visa. At the moment, one of the most uh, one of the most um, competitive uh, packages is on Duke. It's a new free zone on the QE2 ship. Fantastic place, fantastic space. So check that one out. It's Duke.ae, I think. Cool. Um, DWTC World Trade Center has also has some some decent packages. Okay, fantastic. Oddly enough, I'm going to the uh, QE2 on Thursday night. Uh, Emil has got in touch. Have a listen to this. I have a golden visa. I wanted to start a business in Dubai. Is it better to start off in mainland or a free zone? Ooh, good question. You know, this is a question that we get asked so much, so so often, and there really is no answer to it. I mean, there's so many so many questions I would need to ask him before before I'm I'm able to answer that. In general, um, in general, it's I would say it's probably a bit cheaper to start in, in a free zone. You get a bit more flexibility. Um, in the mainland, you need an office, you need to get a, an address, and so on and so forth. If you want to deal with entities on the mainland, theoretically speaking, you would need a mainland entity. If you're dealing with foreign foreign entities or entities in the free zone then you would open in the free zone but then again there's a gray zone on that so very difficult to answer that question we we usually ask about 10 to 12 questions before we're able to to answer that so sorry emil i can't give you a straightforward question but please feel free to call us or get in touch we'll be more than happy to guide you in what is the answer for that for you for yourself and your business indeed very easy to find the team from virtue zone just check out their website george it's been a pleasure having you on the radio thank you so much for your time pleasure georgia i'd also encourage our listeners to follow us on instagram and on facebook on the virtue zone page and you'll get a lot of plenty and plenty of, of useful information there and what we're up to so if yeah. you like this program Program, then by all means, please do follow us on Inst- on Instagram, on Facebook, and on Twitter, and on LinkedIn. Are you on? Uh, are you on that other one? Uh, no, TikTok. I'm, I'm too old for the other one. You totes got to go I'm on TikTok too old for the other one. You got to teach me. Virtue Zone on TikTok. That's what we're going to do next <laughs> we week. We do have a, we do have a TikTok. <laughs> uh, George, we will be speaking to you again hopefully next week. Uh, starting up, we'll be back from 11 a.m. You don't want to miss it.